I'm Ari Mark, the owner of Ample, um, and director and executive producer of The Invisible Pilot on HBO. And I'm Phil Lutz, co-director and co-executive producer of The Invisible Pilot. Gary was a crop duster. The best pilot the Top Gun program had ever known. I didn't think they talked about our double life. Gary became an international drug smuggler and he made millions of dollars. It gets complicated. His wife ought to have an Academy Award. Gary Bessner was tripping into one of the biggest political scandals of his lifetime. This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company, making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome award-winning filmmakers Phil Lott and Ari Mark, co-directors and executive producers of The Invisible Pilot. The HBO docuseries captures the incredible story of Gary Betzner, an Arkansas crop duster who died under mysterious circumstances. Or did he? The mystery around this man's death would be more than enough for a compelling doc, but that is only the beginning of a story that proves that truth is most definitely stranger than fiction. Given the unlikeliest of events set against the backdrop of 1970s and 80s America and Reagan's war on drugs, the docuseries is Forrest Gump meets American Maid meets All the President's Men. Stay tuned as we discuss this incredible American story with Phil and Ari. If you're worried about spoilers, and there will be more than a few, please watch the series as this tale has more twists and turns than the river where Gary's body was never found. Phil and Ari, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Oh, great. Great, great, great. great. Really good to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, well, thank you. Um, the The film, if uh, for our listeners, is uh, the Invisible Pilot, uh, released on HBO early uh, April this year. It's on HBO Max. Is there a plans, or is there an international release uh, associated with this as well? Yeah, I believe it's going all, all around the world, but I believe uh, in the UK, I think it's on Sky Atlantic. I think it's coming out shortly. Yeah, that's it. Tends to go. Uh, there's this tie-in with uh, Sky and uh, and HBO. So we'll do uh, do have a look for it. Um, um, I mean, it isn't. I don't even know where to begin with this one. This is an incredible, an incredible story. So thank you so much. And I've been humming uh, Crystal Gale in my head for the last few days <laughs> since watching this. So um, tell you where I'm coming from with this one, but. Uh, uh, maybe Phil, maybe you can get us started. What is, uh, if it's possible to give a synopsis, what is The Invisible Pilot all about? So, uh, The Invisible Pilot is about this small town, every man, guy, family guy, well liked. Um, one day in 1977, he takes his kids to ice cream and he pulls his car over at the side of the road and it's in the middle of a bridge and he gets out of the car and he jumps off it and disappears. And over the course of three episodes, we sort of follow and unwrap this amazing story of what happened that day and how he ended up going toe to toe with the American president. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so I've already done this in the in the intro, but I will do some um, a spoiler alert here because. Um, 
But I mean, it, it just says so much about the film that the what you've just described is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this story. So, um, but if you haven't had a chance to watch it, please do. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. And uh, then, uh, you know, before you do that, maybe give us a like, but then go watch it and then come back and listen to uh, how they, uh, Ari and uh, Phil made this film. Uh, but uh, so as... Ari, since it's the life of an already dead man, is that one way to, yeah, I mean, to I pitch it? That, yeah, that's a cool way to pitch it. We should remember that for next time. I mean, <laughs> and just and just so you know, it's a three-part series. And so I think True. that just so audiences know, and, you know, the third episode just, just premiered. Um, so all three now are on HBO uh, Max, the, 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 the streaming platform for HBO. But, you know, I think that's a really great way to pitch it by means of sort of pulling people in and sort of forcing them to kind of, you know, watch one episode. And I think the challenge is watch one episode and we feel as though we've, we've sort of narratively constructed it, that it, it will sort of push you to want to watch episodes two and three. And, mm. but episode one, you know, if you think of them in chapters is very yeah. much about, you know, um, about, about a quote unquote dead man, what it means to die. And, um, you know, how this particular character I think is like kind of weirdly complex um, is able to really just sort of ascend to unexpected heights um, part, just partially out of fearlessness, partially out of just like sort of sheer, you know, gall, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a tweak of sort of like, you know, Americanism in there of this sort of like pursuing the dream and, doing whatever the hell you want to do whenever you want to do it, yeah, yeah. you know, your own way. Yeah. I mean, as you say, I mean, there's, and I, th- there's so many historical and cultural touch points here. I mean, there's sixties and seventies hippie culture and free love and go, go eighties and cocaine and the war on drugs and Iran Contra scandal, which many of us had forgotten about uh, somehow. Um, and this <laughs> right. all, this all revolves around a crop duster from Arkansas. I mean, um, Phil, how did you, or I don't know, how did you come across this incredible story? Yeah, I think that's a good, a good question. I mean, it's uh, probably the most incredible thing for us was the story's been allowed world for about 12 years now. Mm. I was at a film festival in Sonoma and just, you know, I, I'm English and I like to talk to people. And it's, a, it's like most of there's wine up there, so it was a couple of glasses of that. And yeah. I met this screenwriter who'd been given a job of, fictionalizing the story for a local mm-hmm. filmmaker called Craig Hodges. And um, he was working through the story and, and I was just asking about how, how, what his script was about. And he was telling me this, this story and I kept saying, but you made that bit up, right? You, yeah. you yeah. made that yeah. bit up, right? You made that bit up, right? And he was like, no, no, this is all true. This is all true stuff. And I, I think I finished that conversation. I was like, I need this guy's number because I don't think you should be making a a, 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 a fiction script. I think right. making a documentary. This is a, a, a stranger than fiction story, and this, this guy deserves a yeah. story. And it's taken us a long time to kind of get in with um, getting with the family and get in with Gary and convince them to that we're the right people to tell the story. Okay, but you, I mean, you must have thought immediately, as you said, you you had a gold mine on your hands with with this story. Um, but now you you mentioned uh, this the the filmmaker that was a local guy who was already on the case was he was he actually he was trying to make a uh, a scripted 
film. Is that right? He wasn't trying to do a, a doc. Is that is that the situation when you came in? Yeah, I mean, he he um, looked to his credit. I mean, I think he knew the story was exceptional, yeah. but you know, he he doesn't he doesn't actually work in in TV or film, and so he doesn't have yeah. the some of the storytelling experience. And I think mm -hmm. for him, it was really you know, realizing he had something special, but not necessarily knowing what form it needed to take. And, and by the way, it probably would make a great, you know, scripted show. And I think, yeah. um, you know, and I think there, that there's certainly merit there, but, you know, because audiences are so, you know, I think quite savvy now and also um, tired of being lied to, you know, <laughs> I think there there's an element with nonfiction where you can really surprise people in a way that you can't really do in fiction anymore. And yeah. so, um, you know, you look at the script and stuff, it's like, you know, what else, you know, dystopian, horror, like what, what do you want? It's out there. You've got it. With mm -hmm. nonfiction, it's like you can, you never really run out of sort of intellectual property because it's real, you know, it's real stories, real people. If you find the right ones and you tell them the right way, you know, sometimes you can reveal something I think a little bit deeper than, than meets the eye. And so with this guy, Craig Hodges, for him, it was really a story of a close family friend. Right. right and right. that was how he pursued it. And for us, it was, well, that that's great, but this is much bigger than that. You know I mean? Yeah. That, that might, that might be a micro element, but if you take a step back from this thing, you know um, and, you, and you give it a little perspective and a little bit of sort of fresh air, what actually, what really is it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's much bigger than some hippie, you yeah. know, guy, you know, it's, yeah. it's much bigger than that, I think. And we don't want to cram it down people's throat or hit them over the head with, with these ideas or these sort of cultural yeah. touch points, to use your word. But um, if they unravel organically and you yeah. get this, he's floating through these historical moments, it's, it feels really kismet. And, and I think that's what makes, partially makes the story very special. And we were able to help Craig get, get to that point. And, and so, you know, you you were introduced to the story, but you were just kind of slowly unpeeling the onion in real. And then, so as you were drilling down, then you're actually then having to t take that step back, realizing that you have a much bigger story that anyone yeah. else had a, had any idea they had on their hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, stranger than fiction stuff is sort of what we. It's kind of our currency. It's kind of what gets yeah. us excited as 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 filmmakers. And so, you know, everything that we make has, I think, a little bit of that element. Um, but in this case. Yeah, I mean, we liked our process is we like to really sort of talk to everyone, learn everything we can, and then really put pen to paper and really think through like how do we, how do we want the audience to experience it, right? And how do mm -hmm. we want to experience it in a way that's entertaining? I think sometimes people forget that just because it's nonfiction, just because it's a documentary, you know, it doesn't mean it's it's solely educational or intellectual. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it should yeah. also entertain and it should also you know, um, do its job of, of, of changing your perspective, right. Yeah. Of, of, or challenging your perspective. And so, you know, how you frame it and how you write it, even though they're real events, uh, mm -hmm. is, is sort of the, the key. Well, I'm, I must say, and I'm, I'm sure I don't do the, the film justice, but everyone I t try to give a, my own version of a synopsis to, uh, just become slack jawed and, and I'm like, that's just the first 30 minutes. Right, <laughs> and they're just like, "Wow, how do I? Get, how you know?" And we're here in the UK, so they're like, "How do I? How can I watch this?" Um, so um, you know, um, and even even my seventeen year old daughter, who's not very impressed, was extremely impressed. So, um, but this story, I mean, if this story gets even crazier now, I think for a lot of us, and I'm 
you know, from the U.S. originally and born and raised there. And I've actually been to Desarc, Arkansas. Um, but um, I think I may have even been on that bridge, crossed that bridge when I was a little kid on a cross-country trip, but I'm not for certain. But, uh, um, you know, as crazy as the story sounds and, you, you know, I mean, it gets... Maybe you could briefly explain to people what the U.S. government was up to in the 1980s. I think we kind of all, many of us, have kind of boxed and shelved that and forgotten how crazy a story that was in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in episode two, Gary comes across this guy um, who it turns out to be um, Oliver North and his his compatriots and... What they're doing is they're using this network of pilots who are bringing in drugs, cocaine from from South America into America, and they're using those empty planes going back down south mm. to kind of be their own personal uh, FedEx. You know, take, taking a bunch of weapons down to uh, Nicaragua, where Reagan was fighting a war against what he perceived as uh, a, a threat from the Soviets who were uh, sort of Soviet influence mm. um, putting a, having a beachhead down in Nicaragua. And, you know, this is, this is a, a generation of people that had, had lived off the red, red scare. And uh, they, they fundamentally were opposed to uh, communism and they were funding this, this uh, group of soldiers who were, who were, uh, were standing up against against this uh, force down there, but you know, interestingly, what had happened is Congress and the government had specifically passed legislation to tell Reagan that he couldn't do this. This was they knew that he was interested in this war down there. They and and, and America was wasn't interested in getting getting involved in a war down there, so they specifically passed legislation to prevent Reagan from funding or financing or sending weapons down there. So. He needed to do it covertly because of this is a sort of fundamental belief of his. And so he tasked Oliver North with figuring out how to get weapons down there. And so he basically created this network of uh, arms, dumps in America, shipping them down, down to the, the air, airports in the middle of the jungle and mm-hmm. on the hillsides down there. And that's how Gary, our, our central character, ends up big being one of these pilots and one of the best pilots um, mm. doing a few a few routes down there doing a few uh, uh, trips down there and offloading weapons and mm. you know there's a, there's a piece of it that you, you you know that Gary knows his weapons because he always checks his loads um, mm. but I think you know the interesting thing in, in terms of how this sort of collides with our story is that Gary and Reagan were both motivated by what they believed were doing things that were right 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 and um ends up being you know one of them ends up being a kind of a celebrated presence and the other one goes to jail for you know 22 years yeah yeah i mean i guess that's the whole i mean this this i mean you actually have come across i mean i don't know how many people have looked but you've come across one of the pilots we heard about these guys i mean i'm old enough to remember when this broke originally and you know we were hearing about this i mean it was I mean, no reason to touch on this, but it was what a crazy story. I mean, they you know they were dealing with the Iranians. You had someone like Robert McFarlane who brought a birthday cake and a Bible to the Iranians, and then they're going to 
this idea that you're going to take money from them, fund the contras, but then the el- uh, added element of then, well, while you're at it, might as well ship cocaine back. Um, and by, while that's happening, we yeah. have the war on drugs. So yes. happening uh, domestically, which is just like the biggest irony ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then this guy who, um, well, as I said, there's spoiler alerts, but, you know, we, we know he's dead or at some point he's dead, but this guy is involved. He's... Uh, um, um, I think you even point out, even uh, at Top Gun School, he was considered one of the best pilots they ever had. I mean, he had this this incredible character, is uh, hobnobbing with Pablo Escobar and <laughs> people like that. It's, uh, you know... Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just when does it stop? Um, but uh, maybe... Maybe we will stop just quickly to give people a chance to catch their breaths, and then we'll uh, we'll be right back with uh, with uh, Phil and Ari, uh, the co-directors of The Invisible Pilot. It's on HBO, or stream it on HBO Max. If you enjoy Factual America, check out the Movie Maker podcast. That's all one word: Movie Maker where our friends at MovieMaker.com interview everyone from filmmakers just breaking in to A-listers like David Fincher and Edgar Wright about their movie-making secrets and behind-the-scenes tricks of the trade. They go deep and let the guests speak uninterrupted to get you the most film insight. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with award-winning filmmakers, Phil Lott and Ari Mark, co-directors and executive producers of The Invisible Pilot. Uh, released in, on HBO in early April, earlier this year. You can find it on HBO Max. Uh, Google it for international releases. Here in the UK, I think we think it's going to be on Sky Atlantic. I'm almost certain of that. So we were talking about this, this, this crazy story about uh, this guy named Gary Betzner, or all, all of his many other aliases that he had and as we discover that and he even kind of gives us clues on how people can do what he did um he served his complete time did almost complete time um why was that i mean he had all this dirt on the government uh he testifies uh for congress you can find the complete testimony i'd found it it's on c-span still has it up on their website um, he's working with, uh, well, Senator Kerry's committee that was investigating this. How did he end up serving all that time and not breaking a, orchestrating a deal with the government? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that obviously in episode three we dig into that he, he feels sort of hard done by because he, you know, he felt like he had this free pass. And I think for a lot of, a lot of time down there, there was this sort of idea of a free pass. And in fact, we had a story that we, we don't put in the show, but, you know, the, 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 there was a, a prosecutor down in Miami and he was telling stories of, you know, he'd be given a number to call uh, and that, that number was a White House number to kind of call and sort of get these guys off. Mm-hmm. And that all checked out, by the way, uh, in our, our fact-checking. Just didn't have time to put it in the show. But, um, you know, get and then, and then also the top of episode three, we see this sort of crazy escape attempt. And I think that mm. escape Escape attempt is what actually sealed Gary's fate ultimately. Right, right. Um, and I think once once that happened, you know, he, I think the, a few bets were off in terms yeah. of his um, in terms of his uh, get, getting off or getting some lighter sentence. But also, yeah. you know, let's not let's not forget by this point, 
the infrastructure that was was keeping um, was was running that operation was was dismantled. It had fallen up. It had been exposed publicly. Uh, Oliver North had, had now been a, uh, given his te- his famous testimony and uh, become a celebrity as a result. Mm-hmm. But that whole infrastructure had, had had fallen apart. So it was it was almost like there was no one left to kind of make the call. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, you're saying uh, you're checking these things out. Did you guys, I mean, I was going to ask you why, it, you know, it's, it has taken a while to get this to the, this, this film to the screen. Um, I mean, were you guys, you, you almost had to be investigative r- reporters of, of sorts, didn't you? I mean, uh, is that part of the reason it's taken so long and collaborating stories and these things? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, there, you know, twofold answer. One, if you're working with HBO... Um, you better get your facts right, right? right. So, yeah. you know, you're going to tell something at a high level and a premium level and you want to, mm-hmm. you know, um, you got to really do your due diligence and, you know, there's really repercussions to getting these facts wrong. Yeah. People's lives, et cetera, who are, who are, who are, uh, who are telling their stories and, and who are on screen. I think the other piece of it is um, you, again, like you kind of go into these things assuming one thing, from a set of characters, right? Like the family right. and the, right. And yeah, you do become an investigative reporter where you want to, you can't really gain credibility with the audience if you can't, you know, really, really confidently tell the story and feel like you've got sort of additional point of view, right? Mm-hmm. So that's reporters and the, the journalists, the podcaster and, you know, um, his lawyer. And, you know, yes, those are people who give great commentary and they yeah. can some great context. Um, and they're experts in their own right, but it also becomes about sort of gaining the trust of the audience and being like, look, this guy was a nobody, but he was here and, and we're yeah. going to make sure you really believe that because yeah. um, it's one thing to hear someone say it in a chair, it's like, see it in an archive, see it highlighted on a document, yeah. hear a phone call. I mean, that prison escape, you know, if we didn't have that footage, which is one of my favorite pieces of archive I've ever seen, <laughs> where he looks and he just starts running. You know, you you can never make that shit up. You know, it's like, he's like, it's because, and it really plays in well to who he is, right? He's not, you can't confine this guy, you know? And, 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 um, and so long way of saying, you know, yes, we had to become investigative journalists and we were very pleasantly surprised with what we found because sometimes you pursue these projects and the other thing happens. Right. Right. The more disappointed you are. (laughs) <laughs> you know? so it really it really lived up to its expectation that way well i mean is that i mean what i found personally powerful is this um you have these number of interviews over the years especially with the family and you splice those together where they're basically it seems to me that nothing their story is held together exactly the same over 10 years of filming they are they've never changed their story and um uh, so, exactly. um, you know, the that's, way you've presented that was very, I thought, quite powerful. That's a really good point. Um, thanks for saying that. That was uh, a really great sort of device that both, I think, worked creatively and also worked uh, practically, to your point, mm-hmm. just, you know, really cementing in the minds of the audience that, okay, you know, there's a shared story here and, and, and it's, it's, it's consistent. Um, and also, it really gets into this notion of memory and, and, and collective memory and family of like, okay, mm. you know, 
there's a story you get passed down and there's a story that really happens and mm-hmm. you know and there's there's always sort of nuances within that uh, we sort of wanted to explore that frankly we would have explored it more we just ran out of real estate you know yeah. it's only yeah. three episodes so i mean not that we're going to be making a doc about everyone's family but all families have these myths especially southern families i can tell you um and um you know i think it's uh it, it's it's that too you without don't know if your intention, but you you also see how these characters are aging over the uh, last 10, 12 years. And it's it's poignant in its own way, isn't it? Uh, Certainly someone like Travis, who's Gary's son. And you see how that's evolved over... Oh, you see him from really young because of Craig's uh, being a friend of his from like middle school or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, quite intentional. um, Quite intentional. Really wanting those characters to arc you know, emotionally and physically, but, um, yeah, I mean, Travis, he's a really intelligent guy and he's got a big heart and he was, you know, that was definitely a piece that we grappled with. And, you know, I've had conversations with him after the airing of this and just, you know, how he was presented and how he feels and, you know, and it's, it's challenging. It's really tough. I think for him to see himself up there in that way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was going to ask, it's one question I was going to ask you. So, I mean, what was it like working the family? And then now what do they think of the, uh, uh, of the project now that they've, I mean, cause these aren't people who are ever were thinking I'm going to be on the, on the big screen really, you know? So. No, no uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and Gary, you know, he, he saw the show and, you know, obviously, you know, he's a big boy and he's been through a lot of stuff. So, and I, you know, I think he's also was compartmentalized quite well, as you can mm. see in the show. Yeah. So I, we weren't expecting to have a sort of a super emotional response, but I think he, his response was it was accurate. And he said, so that's, that's how it was, mm. um, which I, I think we both felt was a milestone to have passed. And the rest of the family, look, it's tough. It's tough to yeah. see yourself up there. And, you know, you make a very good point about seeing the family age, you know, but it's also seeing the cost of the story. You know, yeah. that one of the things you wanted to do with this, this the story was, you know, subvert some of the expectations a little bit. Um, and yes, we want to have a rollicking ride and take, yeah. take your journey and have a real good sort of cinematic experience that would, would be fun to, to watch and go along with. But we also want to drop these little nuggets of hmm. the real cost. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, the core of the story is, you know, the cost of these these things. And, you know, yeah. whether it's Reagan, Reagan administration, you know, yeah, doing what he was doing, or whether it's it's uh, whether it's Gary doing what he was doing, there's there is a, a cost to the people around them, and so I think just to see that that impact on their faces without having yeah. to kind of ask the question or kind of hammer the audience over the head, I think was pretty poignant. Uh, I yeah, I agree, and I think um, I hadn't even thought of it that in such a universal terms, but uh, certainly um, at least two characters there thinking as you actually kind of already pointed out um doing what they thought was right doing what they thought was best for those they loved if you want to put it that way but with all the collateral damage that comes comes with it um yeah. and that's um i think um uh, yeah, like you said it could be i mean maybe that's for the that's for the scripted film if you want to have the rogue uh sort of fella who goes around but the reality is that that's uh there's there there is uh, there are prices to pay for such a for for such a and life it, uh, however incredible it it may be 
Um, I mean, you've already mentioned about how you were, sh you know, looked, you know, we, it is three episodes and you can get, uh, to caught up in three acts and chapters and stuff, but it, you know, how would, it was interesting how you have shaped it. It is, they're almost, almost three standalones. They're almost, um, and as you said, the third one's just premiered in the U S so, um, um, how did that, uh, I mean, did you approach this as a, um, sort of true crime story and then that kind of sh just as you said over the years it's it's shaped it's taken on this different shape yeah i mean it's it's definitely uh you know we work a lot in true crime and so yeah. i think we and we also bore easily and you know we've seen <laughs> stuff, so, and you know we're, we're, the last thing we want to do is make something that nobody wants to watch yeah. so you know i think we, we I think when we evaluate a project like this, you say, okay, you know, what are sort of the moments of transformation, right? What are the, what are the tent poles? Like, and, and how many are there? And, mm. you know, how many revelations, how many revelations are we really going to be able to offer, you know, in, in a story like this? And so you look at it as a whole and you go, well, you know, could it be a great feature documentary? Sure. You know, but, um, <coughs> but, but when you have that sort of, you know, breadth of mm. twists, turns, and sort of, um, you know, unexpected moments, you want to use those, you know, yeah. best you yeah. can. And it allows you to sort of make the world bigger, right? So you're letting yeah. the audience not to just the world of small town Arkansas mm. or the true crime element or, you know, uh, Miami drug scene. You're, you're letting them into also, you know, this bigger political arena. And so mm. it's, yeah, it's an onion, but it's also sort of like a, you know, hopefully it's going like that, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, the aperture is getting bigger and bigger and hopefully that's earned. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's why I think it always felt to us like a series. I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, to HBO's credit, I think there was a lot of conversation around, you know, making sure that it deserved the amount of episodes it was getting. Yeah. And so there's a lot of work to ensure that that's, you know, that's really there because as I'm sure you've seen on TV, there's plenty of series that frankly would have been better as a, you know, as a one-off. Yeah. Uh, or fewer episodes here. or, you know, however, yeah, won't name names, but yes, I, you know, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but yes, I think we've all been there and I think probably people are starting to be a little more, I think audiences are probably being more critical of that mm -hmm. as well. Cause it's a, it's a valuable time that uh, they're, they're, dedicating to watching these pro you yeah. know these 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 uh films and uh but in terms of i mean i think that's very interesting so that collaborative process with hbo i mean how long it was is that something has hbo been on the case for several years is that um no so you know the the collaborative process was really so the collaboration started first with us and and craig hodges this this yeah. this filmmaker right and we, we we started talking and and for some reason it took phil 10 years to mention it to me but <laughs> the <laughs> but, uh, but once we started digging in together okay. we realized oh shit you know there's really yeah. you know we should really be pushing this along he's he's also been always been obsessed with iran contra and my thing with iran contra was always like who cares you know and i think you know i always yeah. felt very strongly that iran contra especially for our, for our generation or the younger generations it's like it's a big who cares. And it also is extremely, mm. extremely uh, clumsy as yeah. a political yeah. turning point. 
I'm like, wait, what? Like who, who well, why are we talking about Nicaragua? You know, yeah. and so it's a lot of explaining. And so from a TV standpoint <laughs> or a yeah. film standpoint, that's a hard thing for audience to digest. I think what worked really well in episode three, especially was being able to understand thanks to some of these experts, um, you know, really breaking it down for us and simplifying it is that's kind of part of the point. Like the point, the, the fact that the American public sort of forgot about it, yeah. the fact that we're now sort of bringing this up and the fact that we can draw organic parallels to today without having to say mm. it, or mm. at least get this conversation about power and getting to the conversation of specifically executive power, mm. you know, that's a really unbelievable thing to be able to do. So yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's an opportunity to break down you know, what Iran Contra, what Iran Contra really was. And, um, but also frame it, mm. you know, when you, when you have this no, but I don't know if I'm being clear, but when you have this sort of, um, sort of anonymous character for lack of a better mm. way of putting it, um, he's involved in this thing. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. it's worth another look, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. oh, this is really accessible. We've made this thing that's so inaccessible accessible and that's where the two of us went oh okay yeah yeah, yeah that works um and so that was a big piece of the perspective and, and point of view and context that we brought and we said look and you know we, we worked with craig and we looked through all this years and years of footage and tried to pull out the bits that worked and reshoot the bits that we needed to and all that kind mm -hmm. of good stuff mm -hmm. but in the collaboration with not just hbo but adam mckay right and Tom Schulman, who's you know the, the other production company that we partnered mm -hmm. with um they had a really fresh look also mm. in saying, okay, well, nobody, we haven't even thought about Iran Contra and God knows how long. So you get these very kind yeah. of 2022 kind of like perspectives on something that was pretty, you know, dusty, you know, yeah. when, when yeah. we first started looking at it. And I think that's why it has the freshness because of that collaboration yeah. pushing us to make it as accessible as we could. Well, yeah, the, you, so you've answered the question I was going to ask is how do you make a film about Iran Contra interesting when, when as yeah. you've pointed out, poignantly point out here and in the film, no one really cared at the time and yeah, certainly I, doesn't care now. Yeah, um, the sweeping under the rug and the, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that, all, and the way you do it is make a character, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. you don't make it about the history of Iran Contra, you make it about somebody who kind of, you know, collides with it and make it feel present make it feel like mm. you know there, there's a reason to tell that story now yeah. just by way of interviewing people in 2022 about yeah. Yeah. it you know yeah. so yeah and, and i think it was interesting as you say uh, in that episode three is um <clears throat> you know even the journalist who interviewed uh, gary uh was you know he's he's not your most uh you need to, I mean, I was going to ask you what it's like working with Gary, because, I mean, I think uh, you probably need to ask him the same question several times just to make sure that this is all checks out. Because, uh, as he said, there's this guy who does cocaine enemas. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe he's not the most, <laughs> not that that's, I'm not passing judgment necessarily, but, you know, not that that's the, uh, you know, who who is, yeah, exactly, who is... Uh, you know, is this a, a reputable witness to all this? You know, yeah. no, I'm really glad we leaned into that. And upon yeah. rewatching the the episode, it really works really well. Of just you know, um, feeling like you understand. Yes, he was one of other pilots, and yes, and you know, even if incredibly talented, but he was an anomaly. You know, and yeah. um, the fact that he was still able to testify at that 
you know, level of credibility, yeah. you know, means, you know, he was such a linchpin, you know, in, yeah. in really, uh, connecting all the dots for everyone. Yeah. But then it's at the same time that, that I just thought of this, that the whole, uh, that hearing he has, you know, it's, it's practically an empty room he's in when he's testifying there between that committee, you know, I mean, I guess it was closed doors, but still up to a point, but, uh, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, it's quite, quite a story. Um, uh, yeah, there's been maybe some spoilers, but I, you know, I can tell you we're only touching the surface when given what we've discussed, uh, over the last 30 minutes. So it's, um, quite an incredible story, quite, uh, touches on a lot of different issues. I mean, um, the other side of Gary, I, one last thing I would ask about Gary is he's, he's kind of this, uh, philosopher, <laughs> uh, <laughs> smuggler, <laughs> you know, um, it, it interesting, kind of interesting insights on life, I guess. Yeah, he's definitely, uh, well, you can say he's had some mind expanding, uh, experiences <laughs> <laughs> over his life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think there's something. I think there's something also about being a pilot. You had to be sort of close to life and death, and I think he has yeah. to be sort of close to reality. And I think that allows him to kind of have this philosophy. Mm. I mean, I, I I think it allows him to have this develop this philosophy mm. of okay. um, just really looking. And then also, he had that whole experience with the Maharishi in, in, the, yeah. in the 80s, which I think you know Gary is a spiritual guy. You know, he's he's got a hmm. spirituality to him that is sort yeah. of um, beguiling in a, his own yeah. way. You know, how yeah. he spins, how he spins his truth. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, well. Um, I, I think we're coming to the end of our time together. So I just wanted to uh, ask you guys, what's next? Are you? Am I reading this right? What I've seen that you are making a, a scripted film of of this story. Is that something you can, can oh, say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, you know, the thing with scripted stuff, projects is they take, you know, an extraordinarily long time. It's part of the reason we love nonfiction is we, we don't really yeah. need that. We can pick up a camera and just go, you know, yeah. and start making it and doing it and shooting yeah. it and cutting it. Yeah. And, you know, um, but I don't know. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying that to be, to be coy. I, I feel mm -hmm. as though, uh, you know, on the one hand, we're always sort of trained in this business to sort of think about, you know, expanding and adapting sort of existing mm -hmm. intellectual property or, or, you know, how can you sort of take this yeah. pro product and commodify it even further? And the truth of the matter is, is like we said from the beginning, if it's, if it's real, yeah. what are we going to do? And it's, and it's hard to believe that's a real story. Yeah. What the hell are we going to do in the scripted version <laughs> to surprise you? You, have aliens <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, well, he's going to have to show up in the White House, I think. He and yeah, Ollie, exactly. something's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. If you have any ideas, you know, let us know. Yeah, well, uh, we'll put that out to the audience as a way, a good way of engaging the audience. Uh, so, if you can, well, what can you say is next for you guys? Do you have any um, projects you're, yeah. you're working on and you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, look, we're the types of people, for better or for worse, who, you know, really are always you know, scrambling for, for new ideas, not because not so much for the business reasons as much as like, it just kind of sustains us and keeps us going. Yeah. And the thing with production, production takes time. So even once you get something launched and you're shooting something, it's nice to be able to still continue to sort of exercise that development muscle of the next thing. Yeah. So yeah, we've got, um, 
we've got several projects that um, some were self-financing and just making. And mm -hmm. because we're so confident in the stories, you know, and we're, and we do so much of the shooting and the filming and the directing and the cutting ourselves, yeah. you know, we're able to sort of, you know, really just kind of make something and really get it further along as opposed to sort of trying to convince someone of the idea right. or the traditional route, get it financed and then, and then go about that mm -hmm. way. Um, so we have a couple of those that I guess I probably shouldn't mention It'd probably be <laughs> some of me, but you know, it ranges. I mean, we're, we're not very genre specific. I think we really do yeah. love the stranger than fiction stuff. We like the quirky yeah. Um, thing and we like the character driven stuff. So, you know, we've got one that is more involved in sort of, I'd say religion, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's a little more sort of, um, you know, God driven and really questions sort of um, some of the sort of underlying tenets of, of, of faith and how far people are willing to go for it. Um, mm -hmm. We're really interested in the sort of like sort of historical treasure mystery space where, mm. you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, interesting sort of um, rift between the kind of looting world and the archaeology worlds, you know, yeah. and like, there's something about those two that, you know, we think is really interesting. We're, we're, we're working on something in that space. Um, and then we have, you know, we have a big 10 part, uh, big crime series that gets into the psychology of crime that I, that I can't really share too much on, but it is in production and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, well, that's great to hear. I mean, uh, we'll definitely look be on the lookout for them. And uh, if we haven't uh, scared you off, hopefully we can have you back on to discuss those projects. Because those, I'm sure, if they're anywhere close to what you've done with uh, the Invisible Pilot, will be well worth having a, a little chat about. Uh, so, th so thank you so much for for uh, coming on to Factual America. Uh, just to remind our audience, we've been talking with Phil Lott and Ari Mark, uh, co-directors and executive producers of The Invisible Pilot, uh, released earlier uh, in April on HBO. It's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, just be on the lookout for it if you don't have access to either one of those for some reason and uh, uh, for the wider uh, international release. So um, thanks, guys. It's been great having you on. Love the film. And... Um, Yes, uh, wish you all the best and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks. Appreciate you. Okay, take care. I'd like to give a shout out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com, and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.